I'm Katherine Spearing, and this is Uncertain. Tears of Eden, a nonprofit supporting survivors of spiritual abuse from the evangelical community and home of the Uncertain podcast, is hosting its first in-person retreat con October 20th through 22nd. This retreat con will have the intimacy of a retreat with the intentionality of a conference. In partnership with the I Got Out movement, the retreat con will also feature a special event story jam highlighting survivor stories live and in person. Registration is currently open and spots are limited. Sign up with a link in the show notes. This podcast and the work of Tears of Eden are supported by the generosity of listeners like you. If you'd like to see the work of Tears of Eden continue, consider giving a one-time donation or becoming a monthly supporter. You can do that by visiting tearsofeden.org slash support. I wanted to tell you about a new podcast hosted by some friends of mine in the spiritual abuse recovery space. Survivors Discuss is a new podcast hosted by three spiritual abuse survivors who want to create conversation around the big issues of high control, toxic religion, and a community forum. Each episode has a specially gathered panel of guests with experience in that episode's topic. In these roundtable discussions, survivors can hear for themselves that they are not alone in their experiences. You can find a link for more info in the show notes. My guest today is Sheila Ray Gregor. Armed with data from an all-new survey of more than 7,000 women, the authors of The Great Sex Rescue, Sheila Ray Gregor, Rebecca Lindenbach, and Joanna Sawatsky reveal how experiences in church as teens affect women's self-esteem and relationships today. In their new book, She Deserves Better, Raising Girls to Resist Toxic Teachings on Sex, Self, and Speaking Up. In this book, they expose common evangelical teachings that can backfire. The purity emphasis that can cause shame rather than good choices, the dating rules that can prime girls for abuse, and they expose the one overarching belief that can keep them from setting healthy boundaries. Here is my interview with Sheila Ray Gregor. I got your book yesterday morning. Oh dear. Speed, 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 speed reading. Mm -hmm. Really early this morning. Read, 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 read. It's really, really good. I have sent it to a bunch of people Mm -hmm. already. Just like, you need to read this when it comes out. And there were definitely parts that I cried because I just, I'm a 10 year, worked for, is a youth director for about 10 years. And just the sadness of like all of the teaching that I felt like I was trying to undo because it was very damaging when Mm -hmm. I was growing up. And then having to try to undo it, but then not really have like, a signpost, you know, like I didn't really have yeah. people would ask me, like, are you gonna do a modesty talk? And I'm like, no, no, I'm not, <laughs> yeah. not doing modesty talks, but I I didn't really know why. I was just like, I just hated them when I was yeah. growing up. They didn't, yeah. they didn't do anything for me, like they were, or they didn't do anything positive for me. And so I would just say no, but I just didn't, I didn't really know like why, mm-hmm. like why do we why do I not want to do them? All of this stuff is still in the church. Like I of the church three years. Like this is all still very, 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 very yeah. heavily in the church. And so, yeah, it just made me sad to just think of all of the damage that I experienced, my peers experienced, that so many girls are still experiencing. And so to very sad, but also very grateful for the book. So it's, it's very well done. I appreciate a lot of, you did this in this book and then also just in the great sex rescue book of like, setting the parameters kind of up front and then throughout the book, just with the research. And then mm-hmm. like, even just saying mm-hmm. this is not 
a theology book. And so that's very helpful. Like this is what we're focusing on here. Right. Super, super helpful. Yeah. So I would just love to just get started off. If you have anything that you want to share about why you wanted to write this book. So I think it all started with the great sex rescue. I, I was a mommy blogger for years, writing about marriage and parenting and sex. And the more I talked about sex, the more my traffic grew. And so I was in this Christian sex space for about a decade, but I had never read other books about Christian marriage or sex because I was always afraid of plagiarizing. And then one day I sat down and I read Love and Respect and it was like a nuclear bomb went off in my living room because I realized, oh my gosh, I had been assuming they love Jesus. I love Jesus. We're all saying the same thing. And no, we were not. And so that led my team and me to do the largest study that's ever been done on Christian women's marital and sexual satisfaction to see how ideas that are really common in the evangelical world can actually mess us up. So that was the great sex rescue. And if you go on Amazon and read the reviews, there's over 2000 of them. The most common words you'll read are like validating and freeing. I feel so validated. I feel seen. I feel free. But, and this was what we kept getting, (laughs) I have no idea what to do with my kids now because I feel better and I, I feel like, okay, I can sort of see the way through now, but I grew up with all this toxic stuff. And I don't want to pass that on to my kids, but I also don't want the pendulum to swing in the other direction. So I don't know what to do. So we thought that this was worth looking into. So we we surveyed 7,000 women um, for the new book, She Deserves Better, Reason Girls to Resist Toxic Teachings on Sex, Self, and Speaking Up. And we, we're looking specifically at how teachings in youth group and how experiences as teens in church affect women long-term mm-hmm. so that we can zero in on which ones are doing harm. Right. And I felt like that was just worked or it was well done. And then it also just worked really well for my brain of just like, this is, you know, this was the teaching. Here is the outcome. Not great. And here are some ideas for potential ways to reframe this conversation, engage this conversation. One of the things that I noticed, it seemed like there were some stories of kids who were who were receiving a message from home that was like was a more positive message mm-hmm. than a healthier message from home and maybe those parents weren't like actively counteracting the messages that they were getting in church but it seemed like the messages in church were taking hold a lot stronger and like having a much deeper root would you say that that was true from some of the stuff that you found out? Yeah, certainly in some of the stories, for sure. Not in all, like parents can overcome a lot, but you need to be so intentional and you need to try really hard. And most parents don't have the time and they don't realize what their kids are being taught in youth group. So even if you want to do it, that was more our story. I I mean, my girls both went to a youth group where most of these toxic teachings were completely taught, but I was really present and I knew what was being taught. And my girls were just like, yeah, that's stupid. And we would, you know, we all laughed it off all the time but wouldn't it be great if you didn't have to like if the youth group just wasn't like that but then then there were girls there's one particular woman's story who opens the consent chapter her name's vera and this wasn't included in the book this is just a longer version of her story but she was not a christian so she didn't grow up in a christian home and her mom did a great job teaching her about consent but when she was 13 she started going to church and of course the church was teaching her that everything about her mom was wrong because her mom wasn't a christian and so you need if you want to love jesus and follow god you need to listen to us and so she basically tuned her mom out 
And then when she was sexually assaulted, she went to the youth pastor who said to her, well, what do you expect dating a non-Christian? And he gave her a lecture on soul ties. And she never told her mom because she didn't want her mom to think badly of the church because it was her responsibility to be a good witness to her mom. Yeah. And it was just a huge mess. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Why do you think that this teaching just takes such a strong hold for a little bit? I think there's, yeah, there's just a whole church culture, which if, if, if teachings are in the church culture, if certain attitudes towards women, towards sex, whatever are in our church culture, we need to realize that it's exponentially worse in youth group. Like everything you hear in church, you may think, well, our church is fairly healthy. Like we have a fairly balanced view of things. Like there's a few things that are weird, but on the whole, we have a fairly balanced view of things. In youth group, it will be 10 times worse because the only thing youth group talks about is sex. Okay. (laughs) It's pretty much the main thing, you know, sex and how not to give into peer pressure and relationships. So if in the main church, there's a few weird things about about relationships and marriage and gender roles, but it's not overt. Realize that in youth group, it will be totally overt. Yeah, the trickle, the trickle effect. Yeah. And it's in youth group that kids are most likely to talk about and to try to work through abuse issues, assault issues, and often they're just not trained in it at all. Absolutely. So- we, we need to re- realize that youth group is a microcosm of the church, but it's also like a caricature. Like it's as bad as you can get of, of what's going on in the church. And that's not to dis youth pastors. That's just the nature of what teenagers are going through and the kinds of questions they have. And the fact that youth group tends to be separate from adult church. It's like its own universe in and of itself. A lot of times. Yeah. You may already know this, but the uncertain podcast is the affiliate podcast of tears of Eden a nonprofit that serves as a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse. This podcast and the work of Tears of Eden are supported by donations from generous listeners like you. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider giving a donation by using the link in the show notes or visiting tearsofeden.org support. You can also support the podcast by rating and leaving a review and sharing on social media. If you're not already following us, please follow us on Facebook at Tears of Eden and Instagram at Uncertain Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. And now back to the show. Was there anything that you were researching in the results that surprised you? I think it was more the magnitude of some of the stuff. So we weren't surprised that any one particular teaching was crap. Okay. (laughs) We kind of knew they were going to be. It was more the magnitude of how bad things were or or how badly they affected you long term. So for instance, sex ed messages. We we gave everybody a list of 10 words and we said how many of these would you have been able to define when you graduated high school? And women were more likely to say that they could identify the words for male anatomy than they were for the words for female anatomy. So women knew what scrotum was, but they didn't know vulva or clitoris at the point where they graduated high school, which is really interesting mm-hmm. <laughs> and and kind of scary. Um, and then the magnitude of how much that affected them. So one of the messages that we found was absolutely the most harmful was the modesty messages. We measured four different iterations of them. Just the idea that that girls need to watch what they wear or they're going to cause boys to stumble. They're going to be a stumbling block. They're going to cause him to lust. He can't help but lust. He's visual. All of these sorts of ideas. 
we knew it would be bad, <laughs> but we didn't know how bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of our one of the areas that we really research is sexual pain because evangelical women suffer from vaginismus or sexual wow. pain at, at twice the rate, at least twice the rate of the general population. And in Great Sex Rescue, we looked into that quite a bit. We found that the obligation sex message, so the idea that a woman is obligated to give her husband sex if he wants it, um, increases sex, increases your chance of having vaginismus to the same rate as if you'd been abused. It's it's huge. Because it is abuse. It is abuse. Yeah, because it's saying it's saying you don't matter. He can, yeah. he has the right to use you however you want. Yes. And so and our bodies interpret that message as trauma, which makes complete sense. The modesty message does so even more. More. Like it's 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 freaky. Like it's really it, it's quite intense. So you have a fifty two percent higher rate of experiencing vaginismus later if you've believed these modesty messages. So we are telling girls that boys' temporary lessened temptation to lust is of more importance than their long term health. Yep. And it also makes them sixty eight percent more likely to marry an abuser. Mm you know, 30% more likely to have below average self-esteem in, in, as, as an adult. So the self-esteem effects, they go on into adulthood, even if you don't believe these messages anymore as an adult, it just messes you up. And of course, if you have low self-esteem, you're less likely to keep a job. You're more likely to have mental health problems. You're going to have worse relationships. It's just, it's just from modesty right? talks. From, yeah. modesty. from modesty talks. Yeah. That is a whole book by itself. Mm-hmm. Oof. Yes. Okay. So we show up in church and we're getting all of these like purity messages. What are the ways that that impacts dating when we're getting these purity messages? One of the interesting things that happened during purity culture, which I would kind of date 1995 to 2015, maybe people put different dates on it. And it's not that it's over. It's just that the messages have changed the way they word it, but it's still very much there, but the wording's different. So we don't have modesty rules, like, you know, two fingers below the clavicle. Now we just simply say you need to dress to reflect Christ, whatever that means. So I I mean, is that any better? (laughs) Honestly, Yeah, that's what we kind of think, because you're still you're still blaming girls for what boys do. And that's the issue was never how long the hemline was. It was the fact that you were blaming girls for how boys and men reacted to their clothes and bodies. But what purity culture really started, which wasn't there for my generation, because I'm Gen X, was the idea that your faith can be summarized by what you do sexually as a teen. So in when I was a teenager, yes, we were all going to wait for marriage for sex, but it really wasn't talked about that much. We we talked a lot more about prayer, about how we're going to reach our school for Christ. We had like evangelism seminars. They were come we were constantly going to evangelism seminars. Now that was an issue in and of itself. But like, but <laughs> it's it very like outward focused and like yes and like let's do this kind of yes. Stuff. Yes. Not abstinence and you know, no right. Bad shut this mm-hmm. down. Exactly. And so, you know, we were about living a big life for Christ. And in purity culture, it just became making sure that you don't do anything bad. Mm-hmm. So that was, it was a very different emphasis. And when your life with Christ is defined by your virginity, that's a really scary thing. Oh yeah. Cause first of all, it can be taken from you and then you're no longer pure no based on, on your own. Exactly. But then, you know, even if you do something, and then later regret it and go like, yeah, I don't want to do that anymore. You're now ruined. Whereas that's not what your life with Christ is supposed to be like. It's supposed to be, no, every day I make a decision 
And so if I made a bad decision yesterday, that's okay. Like, you know, not that, not that we're supposed to say, Hey, do whatever you want, but like, no, it's where our heart is. It's not where our hymen is mm -hmm. besides which is all kinds of weird theology about hymens, but never mind that. But, <laughs> but, but, but we, but we really reduced girls identity to whether or not they have sex. And then, and at the same time, we told girls that they have this unique power to protect their purity by making sure that boys never go too far and never get turned on. Mm -hmm. And, and it really sets girls up to be sexually assaulted. It grooms, it grooms girls to be victims and blame themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's what it largely did. Yeah. No, I remember, I remember being told girls have to be the one to say no, because mm -hmm. guys won't like if you yeah. get yourself in that position and you know, you start, you know, going down that road, the guy's mm -hmm. not going to be able to stop. You've mm -hmm. got to stop it. I remember being told that. Now I know it's total bullshit. But yeah. at the time, it felt like, oh, oh, I've got to say no. Or I can't even touch you. I can't even look at you. And it makes sense to, it makes sense that this would lead, lead to a situation where you're more likely to marry an abuser. But what did you find? And like, what were the things that actually led to increasing the likelihood that someone would marry someone abusive. Yeah. There's all kinds of different teachings and things that led to that. But here, let, let, let's try to connect the dots with something that Shanti Feldon said in her book for young women only. Okay. So she, she was a very popular writer at the height of purity culture. She wrote a lot of articles for Brio magazine. She supposedly did a study. It really was not a good study. And so I'm going to give you a statistic, which I do not believe is accurate because I think her question was wrong. <laughs> Her answers were wrong and her interpretation of the data was wrong. But here, here she she told girls in her book that 82% of boys feel little ability and little responsibility to stop in a makeout situation. Okay. And then she concluded, if you want to stop, it's safest to not even start. Okay. So imagine telling girls that 82% of boys might have little ability to stop. That's just straight up rape apology. Well, yeah. And you don't have any expectation yeah. Them to stop. No, exactly. But like, it's just simply untrue. Nobody has an inability to stop. Zero percent. Zero percent of men have little ability to stop. Zero percent. Everybody has an ability to stop. Everybody. Because we are not born with a need to rape people. And then the perpetrator does enter. The pedophile does enter. And they do assaults and they mm -hmm. do sexually abuse. And then they say, I couldn't help it. And an entire culture supports that. Exactly. Because you feel like instead of being told, hey, if a guy doesn't respect your boundaries, that's huge red flags that that relationship isn't safe. You're told if a guy doesn't respect your boundaries, you must have done something wrong. Mm-hmm. You caused it. And once you have sex, you you are now tied to them. You now have a soul tie with them. You are married in God's eyes. And we talked to so many women who actually married the guy who raped them mm. because wow. they thought, this is what I'm stuck with now. Yep. Even if it doesn't get to that extent, you are systematically taught that you cannot expect boys to act with any kind of good character. Steve Arterburn, who is the author of the Every Man's Battle series, sold 4 million copies in evangelicalism. He wrote the foreword to the book, Every Young Woman's Battle, which was aimed at teen girls. And he said that he just wants girls to understand that all boys, even the Christian ones, 
will want to take from you. Like, like, are you serious? So we can't wonder if he's a perp because that kind of teaching, like, I mean, when you hear the correlation between these men who are Mm -hmm. giving these messages and then, and I, I know these stories, like they have, they're so emphasized that, and they so emphasize them. And then they end up being, being a perpetrator. They end up having a sex addiction. They end up being, being an abuser. And so it's a red flag. <laughs> yeah, anytime anyone says that. that all Christian men can't help, but do this terrible thing. They are a Christian <laughs> <their> man. <laughs> yeah. They are a Christian man. Therefore they fall into that category. And yes, I am very concerned about that. But, but this was the message that, that we gave girls. So we taught girls, you cannot expect boys to, to act honorably. Mm-hmm. You cannot expect anything out of boys. Mm-hmm. And so how are girls supposed to recognize red flags? Exactly. And and if you think, if you go through high school and you think that you are less than, which is so much of our teachings, you know, girls talk too much, girls need to be silent. Jesus first, other second, you last. You don't matter as much. When you When you go through life believing that, it's very likely that you will marry someone who agrees with you. You already believe it mm-hmm. about yourself. Yeah. Absolutely. And then, and then stay in that and stay in that marriage and stay in that mistreatment because you have no paradigm, no framework that it's supposed to be different. Yeah. Just on the, 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 the double standard for women and the, 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 the messages about women and just the reality that I thought women are one of the reasons why a lot of evangelicals say women can't lead is because they're too emotional. And I just Mm -hmm. love that this book is like, so research base it's like i see your accusation <laughs> of my emotionality and here are a lot of facts so yeah. love that love that so much okay so you did a study that showed the different approaches to teaching boys and girls and i think it was a like a retreat the the retreat themes and the quote is boys are encouraged to please god by doing brave things Girls are encouraged to please God by not doing shameful things. What has been the impact on girls with this different approach to teaching? Yeah, so that's specifically about Dana Grush's ministry. So Dana Grush, again, one of the leaders in purity culture writings to teen girls, she is now rebranded to True Girl. But the message is pretty much the same, even though she doesn't do actual modesty rules anymore. It's still all about you know, dignity, boys are visual, you're supposed to keep this. Anyway, it's 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 still problematic. But yes, it, her husband ran an event called Born to be Brave for boys. So boys, again, big girls don't show anything, you need to be small. And, and just as we're also saying girls can't be seen, because that's the modesty message, right? You, you need to not be seen, not draw attention to yourself. You need to be invisible so that you're not a stumbling block. At the same time, we tell girls don't speak. Mm-hmm. So we measured we measured how much women believed girls talk too much, because that's a really good measure of something called internalized misogyny, which is mm. the belief that women are less than men or less important and don't matter as much. And so in our survey, we were trying to find some good measures of internalized misogyny. And this looked like a good one. So because we did a bunch of, of lit reviews on this. So we, we included that as a measure. And when girls believe the girls talk too much, their chance of marrying an abuser skyrockets later. But not just that. It's it's so interesting. Like 
If you believe in high school, the girls talk too much. Then as an adult, let's say that you're married and you both work outside the home. Okay. So both of you are working. I think it's like your 68% chance higher chance of doing most of the housework. If as a teenager, you believed girls talk too much. And I'm, I'm, that may not be the accurate stat because I'm not the stats person on the book at Joanna Sawatsky is. And so like, I have so read many- the book and get the, get the table. You'll, you'll- it is big. I know it's like a big <laughs> amount. So some of the stats I've got down pat and some I don't, but I, I think what this shows is when you believe girls talk too much, you think you, your voice is less important than boys and you are a problem. You're a problem. And so many of our books are geared towards getting girls to not speak up, mm-hmm. to be girls. quiet. You're supposed to be submissive. The interesting thing though, is that girls don't actually talk too much. Mm-hmm. This is a trope that is constantly repeated. The idea that women say 50,000 words a day, whereas men only say 25,000. Or sometimes the numbers, women say 25,000 words and men only say 12,000. Like the numbers keep changing. You'll hear it, different numbers. When you trace it back, the first person who started to really talk about how women say basically double the number of words than men in a day was James Dobson in a 1983 book, Love for a Lifetime. There was no citation. And other people- a lot of stuff he says. Oh, yes. And other people have repeated it again with different numbers without a citation. So the scientific community eventually realized that this was being touted as a thing. So they decided to actually look into it. And multiple meta-analyses have shown that women and men speak virtually the same number of words in a day. There is no statistical difference. I love that. Yes. So this idea that women are a problem by talking too much is not true. And in fact, in mixed groups, the problem is not that women talk too much, it's that they don't speak up enough. Because there's a study out of Cambridge University where they put people in groups of five with varying gender balances. And if you're in a group of five, you would expect that every person should speak 20% of the time. The only time women got close to 20% was when there were at least 80% women in a group. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could tell you that just by experience. I don't have any, mm-hmm. numbers for it, but I'm just like, yeah, just like this awareness. And when I started to become aware of it was, you know, probably a decade ago of just like watching just like the dynamics of like, especially if, even if it's just like one man, like, like they'll dominate the conversation and I, and I will give them the benefit of the doubt that they don't know they're doing it, that they are just used to being listened Mm -hmm. to, but it's so, it's so, it's so obvious, you know, and it's just like, like you see it Mm -hmm. everywhere. So this idea that like, that is like such a great litmus test of that internalized misogyny of believing that women talk too much when reality is they don't like, right. (laughs) And interestingly, the girls talk too much message is highly correlated with the modesty message. So if you believe girls talk too much, you are four times as likely to believe any of the four modesty messages that we measured. Like it, it, which is like, I cannot, I cannot express how large a correlation that is with everything. So basically modesty messages are also internalized misogyny. Absolutely. Well, and the, and the way that either we're trained to be this way or it's just kind of happenstance and it turns out this way the ones who are chasing down the bad girls who are not dressed modestly are usually the women doing that yes and 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 we looked at that and adult women who believe the modesty messages are far more likely to be in destructive marriages themselves 
So how much of it is, I don't want to admit that my husband is bad. And so I'm just going to believe all men are bad and that we just need to control the women around us so that I don't have to deal with the fact that I'm in a bad marriage. Well, yeah, it's a survival response. And it's why Mm -hmm. we blame ourselves when we are because we don't want to admit powerlessness on top of the abuse. But it also it also makes you wonder about all these women who wrote all these books, right? To teen girls. Well, I know. And I'm just like, I know, like, I literally know the men who taught the messages and were so strong about it and just like, mm-hmm. were so shaming and they, and like, I know they have sexual addictions. I know their sexual abuse. I have facts. <laughs> like I know that. And so it's like, yeah, to swing it the other way and like wonder like these women who are teaching it and, and, and needing it to me, it, it seems to come from a place of needing to kind of control an, a narrative and, and mm-hmm. that's, that's what it is. And yeah, that would, that would make a lot of sense. Do that study. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So tell me about Darvo mm-hmm. and how that is showing up in the church, in the teaching. No, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So DARVO is a term that's used a lot in the abuse community to talk about the strategies that abusers use to get out of being held accountable and to to deflect blame. So there's a three-step process in DARVO. It's deny that anything is happening. It's attack the person who is accusing them of something. And it's then it's to reverse victim and offender. So to say, no, actually, I'm the one who is being hurt, not you. And, and you're the one who's doing the harm. And we see this throughout our approach to girls, whether it's about modesty or consent or whatever. But for instance, like, if a girl with a modesty message, you know, you know, it, it, and it, it's like, well, boys, boys can't help it. You know, they just, they just lost. So deny that, that there's really a problem, you know, and you are really the issue because, you know, look at what you're wearing. And in fact, because of what you're wearing, you are causing him <laughs> to lust after you. So the problem is not that you feel disrespected or ashamed or, you know, the problem is not that he was treating you that way or calling you names or whatever. The problem is what were you thinking because of what you were wearing? Cause he can't help it. And so this is actually on you. And we get that, whether it's about modesty, whether it's about consent, whether even little things like my daughter, when, when my daughter, who's one of the co-authors on the book, when she was in youth group, I think she was about 15. There was a guy, an 18 year old who was hanging out at the youth group and he was seriously creepy. And the girls knew that he had sexually assaulted some girls in his high school. And so they didn't want him there. And they told the youth leader and he said, that they were just being judgmental and didn't want to be around someone who was weird and not like them. And they needed to show him Jesus. You know, it's like deny that this is really a problem and then attack you. You know, you are the issue. And in fact, you are trying to take away his salvation and trying to take away his chance to know Jesus. Mm-hmm. So he's actually the victim and you are the one who is hurting him. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's the kind of thing that we often hear is, is the girl is the one who's doing the harm every time she tries to protect herself or stands up for herself and say, Hey, like, I want to be treated with respect. And it's like, well, what did you expect wearing that? What did you expect letting him starting to kiss you? You know, what did you expect going to his house alone? Yeah. Yeah. And it's pervasive in Mm -hmm. the culture. What would you say is like, if you were going to just like speak to mothers right now who are, who are listening to this, you have a, a question, a really amazing question, activity, 
section for mothers and daughters to do together at the end of every chapter. Uh, yeah. What is the reason for, for having that stimulating that conversation between mothers and daughters about because that was just the biggest thing mom said is like, I just don't know how to talk to her about it. I don't know how to talk to her. And so we, we do, we have like role play scenarios. We have, you know, discussion questions. We have like, okay, here's three different scenarios. What would you do in each of the scenarios? Like we've got lots of stuff in there. So how do you talk to her about modesty in a healthy way? Like, like clothing choices where it's not about the boy at all. It's just about, okay, what is appropriate for this occasion? You know, am I, am I flaunting my wealth? Which is really what the Bible is actually talking about when it talks about modesty. It's nothing to do with whether you're showing cleavage. It's about whether you are dressing all in like Armani and making poor people feel like they're not welcome, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, you yeah. know, so let, let's have it. It was not about fashion. It was about, no. about how are you showing up in a space? Basically. It was about inclusion. It was about making sure that people felt included. So, you know, like, so we could have sort of those conversations. I think the big thing that I want moms to know is that information is never bad. Yeah. And more, inf- the more information, the better, and the younger, the better. Hmm. Because it's actually quite empowering. One of the best protectors from your girl marrying an abuser is to have lots and lots of sex ed early. Mm. And what what the church largely did was it replaced sex ed with just don't do it. Yep. And that actually did not. It didn't. It didn't necessarily reduce risky sexual behaviors. It didn't, and it certainly didn't protect girls from assault. It actually elevated the risk of assault. And it elevated the risk of marrying an abuser. Whereas when you give com- when you give kids sex ed, when you tell them the facts, when you tell them the names for their body parts, it's easier for them to realize when something wrong is happening. Yeah. And like, when they the way it's supposed to be working, like yeah. And when they have information, then they can make their own decisions. And girls with proper information tend to make good decisions. Yeah. <laughs> Even something like the younger girls are when they realize that female orgasms are a thing, the more likely they are to be orgasmic as in their mirror in their future marriages later. And that's something that we don't like to think about necessarily. Right. Like, like would you would you say that the reason for that is because they're used to the idea, they're expectant of it, and they are not surprised when it happens? Like it was that the reason why the younger they know about it and expect it. Well, there's, there's, there's several overlaps. Often the reason that you know about it when you're younger is because you did masturbate. So sometimes then, you know, at least that, and that's, yeah. it, it, we could, that's a whole other conversation. We didn't measure that. So I can't speak to that. You have some knowledge of your body and how it works. Yeah, exactly. But I think the larger issue is just that you're not ashamed about sex. You can talk about it. And when you can talk about it, you can ask for what you want. And when you go into marriage, not even realizing that women can orgasm and a significant number of women didn't realize they could till over the age of 30. Okay. Mm-hmm. then you're not going to expect to. Whereas women who expect, no, the first time we have intercourse, this should actually feel good for me. And I'm not going to do it unless it feels good for me. Guess what? <laughs> They're more likely to have a satisfying sex life. Exactly. Husband. Like we got to figure this out. Exactly. Whereas are you going to figure it out if you don't think it's about you at all? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So having more knowledge about sex prevents marriage or, or makes it less likely that you're going to end up marrying an abuser. Is that yeah, just- and, and less likely that you're going to have multiple sex partners and less oh, likely that you're going to be assaulted as a teen. And, you know, like it's, 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 it's have knowledge to make a decision about what you want. Yeah. It's good overall for pretty much everything. Yeah. 
Is it, is it an abuser, just like a, a sexual abuser or is it like any kind of abuse? How did you define abuse? We, we looked at several different factors in marriage. So we looked at verbal abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. So any kind of abuse. Yeah. Okay. So interesting. So any mm-hmm. type of, so sexual education mm-hmm. made it less likely that you ended up marrying an abuser. That's really. And, wh- and one of the big reasons we think that happens is because it increased self-esteem so much. So girls who had comprehensive self-esteem ha- or a comprehensive sex ed had very high, had much higher self-esteem. And when you have higher self-esteem, you expect people to treat you well. And so when someone doesn't treat you well, you get away from them. You don't put up with toxic people. People with really low self-esteem put up with toxic people because they think this is all they can expect, or maybe this is what they're used to. So giving our kids good information actually equips them for the future. And that doesn't mean that you have to give the information perfectly. It doesn't mean that you have to not be awkward. Like being awkward is okay, you know? (laughs) conversation yeah yeah you can just be yourself and you can say to your kid okay look I don't I feel we're talking about this you feel we're talking about this but I want to make sure you know it so let's just talk and then we'll have ice cream and then we'll watch a movie (laughs) (laughs) and you're learning how to talk about it together yeah and then it gets easier as they get older so maybe you talk like that when they're 11 12 13 and then and then you know when they're 15 16 you can have some some better conversations yeah I love that I love that yeah, I know. I was one of the the people that starting the the sexual exploration journey and learning learning knowledge about that just in my 30s and then that was a huge factor but then also just leaving an abusive church and not working in an abusive church anymore was another huge factor. <laughs> but but I definitely noticed a correlation between knowledge about my body sexually and my own confidence and who I mm-hmm. am as a person. And, and that, that, you know, and it's just like, okay, it seems like it's maybe not that big a deal. And it's just this like little thing that happens over here and not, not really necessary until you're married, but it's about your body and Mm -hmm. and it impacts your body. And it's a, and the messages that we're told about sex and sexuality are our identity messages. They're about who we are as people. And so to give that knowledge and that power to a girl I can, yeah, it like makes so much sense that that would be a huge deterrent to being in abusive relationships and also just giving girls just ability, a a toolbox to draw from when they're trying to decide like what they want and what they expect out of life. Yeah, I think there's one other thing I would say to moms, and that is that toxic environments are bad long-term. They just are. And as a mom you do have the power to decide what environments you're going to let your kids hang out in. And this is, you know, this is hard for a lot of us to get to wrap our heads around, but many evangelical churches today are the only places where your daughter will ever hear that she is less important because she's a girl. She might experience that at school or in the workplace, but if it ever became an issue, the higher ups would would say that was wrong. Like that's not the official position. Mm-hmm. Whereas the official position at many churches, and they're quite proud of it, mm-hmm. is that boys are meant to lead and girls are the secondary characters in the story. And so girls are meant to serve and boys are meant to do important things. Your daughter will never hear that anywhere else. And so it really is up to us 
whether we want our girls to hear that. And often the reason that we put our girls in that situation is because, well, this church has such a great youth group. Mm -hmm. It's, it's got 150 kids and they have all of these youth leaders and they do all this cool stuff. And my kid's going to meet so many great kids. And the thing is that those youth groups, there's still sexual assault going on. Mm -hmm. And when your child is going to a youth group that maybe believes stuff that you don't even believe, but it's fun, she's more likely to internalize those beliefs. She's more likely to marry someone later on who internalized those beliefs. She's more likely to go to a university or college with people who've internalized those beliefs. Like she's more likely to make that environment her own now. And so she's actually more likely to become more conservative than you are. Mm-hmm. And just the the reality that like, yeah, you can counter the message. You can, mm-hmm. you're allowed, you can do that. But if they're being inundated by it constantly, that's a hard battle to, battle to fight. It is. And not all churches are like that. That's the thing. <laughs> like, you know, there are a lot of toxic churches, but then there are some that aren't. Mm-hmm. And, and we need to start being more discerning. Because I think that we're expecting the church to do better. Yeah. Yeah. Because our girls deserve better. We deserved better. Yeah, absolutely. And, and a lot of women are reading, she deserves better (laughs) to sort of like reparent that little 15 year old. Like, this is what I should have heard when I was 15. You know, no, no, I I totally related that with that as I was reading it. And that's why I was crying while I was reading it. I was like, like, this is, this is a message that I should have gotten. Absolutely. You had mentioned, or you wrote in the book that you were you were kind of doing a survey of the the books, the evangelical books that were focused on teenage girls, and you couldn't find any <laughs> that were they were all pretty much focused on sex purity, and you couldn't find any that didn't revolve around boys' relationships and sex. What does that tell us, and why is that problematic? Yeah, it's so funny because when you look at the top selling books for girls in the secular spaces, yes, they have chapters on dating and relationships, but they're mostly about, you know, self-esteem and boundaries and mental health and vision for the future. Yeah. And friendships, whereas the books for teen girls in the church largely revolve around sex and dating and choosing a husband and waiting for your husband and thinking about marriage as the main part of your life. And so it really, it, it almost sounds like a sex cult. Like it really, when you look at, we did these word clouds of the words that appear in these books. I saw those, in the those are very powerful. Very- it's like, holy cow, this is a sex cult, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, especially side by side with like what the bible what is emphasized in the bible versus what is emphasized to the teen girls and like wasn't sex like the biggest one yeah love and sex and yeah and (laughs) husband and weight and and tempt and modest and purity and yes and that's just not the case in the bible you know the bible talks way more about greed and money than it does about sexual sin anyway we never talk about money issues <laughs> interestingly we did in the 80s and our youth group was quite big on that but anyway this is this this just shows that we are teaching girls that their primary relationship or their primary identity is in relationship to the boys around them either right now because they're going to be focused on finding a husband and on not making sure they mess up to ruin what they're supposed to give to their future husband or that marriage is supposed to be the pinnacle of their life. And not everyone's going to get married. 
And in fact, a lot of the teachings make it less likely the girls will get married, (laughs) which is interesting too. And, and we don't tell boys the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so girls are way more relationship focused than boys are, which then creates its own problematic dynamics because she's so focused on getting married and he's just not. And so you have this, you have all these 20, 21, 22 year old girls who desperately want marriage and the boys aren't even grown up yet. Yeah. So yeah, creates its own problems. Yeah. And, and even if you do get married, we condition women to be codependent. Like Mm -hmm. we now shame them for being codependent, but we condition them to be codependent and we condition codependent church. And so to then get into a marriage relationships where you are conditioned to be codependent, like that does not set you up for a healthy, happy marriage. No. And then once you're married, when you, whatever age you're married, it's kind of like, this is it. And there's nothing else I ever dreamed of. So what am I supposed to do now? So yeah, 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 Yeah. it is really problematic. Mm -hmm. All right. I have one final like fun question for you, but I'd love to hear from you if you have anything else that you want to say, expectations that you have for for folks or hopes and dreams that you have for folks who are reading the book. Yeah. Anything else you want to say? Yeah, just I, I just I just want everyone to realize that none of us deserved this. We didn't deserve this. And I don't a lot of it didn't come out of malice. I don't think people were deliberately trying to harm. Although I do think there were an awful lot who are very complicit in this because they weren't listening to the people who were saying it's harmful. But when it comes to most of the individual youth pastors or youth leaders, I think they genuinely just wanted to help. But there was a lot of harm done. And I think that's, we can grieve that. Yeah. And a lot of us do need to go through like a period of lamentation, a period of grief for what we should have had. Mm -hmm. But it's also time to stop it. Absolutely. (laughs) It is really time to stop it. And so I hope parents will read the book even before your kids are very old so that you can talk about this right from the get-go. I hope youth leaders will read the book so that this stuff won't keep getting perpetuated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just hope that people who are in the toxic churches leave. Yeah. Because that's what it's going to take to change things. Yeah. And tell them why you're leaving. Yeah. Leave loudly. This, yeah. this teaching is not helpful. We're yeah. going somewhere else. Yeah. Because our girls deserve better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amen. Uh, okay. So final fun question. What is a, uh, book, movie, TV show, song, any form of art that mm-hmm. is meaningful to you right now? Oh gosh. I mean, my guilty pleasure, and this sounds terrible, but I binge watch Special Victims Unit all the time. <laughs> is this law, law and Order SVU? Yes. <laughs> just, I just love seeing justice be done. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> and, and Mariska Hargitay, just the way that she talks to the victims, I just feel like, I, I know that she sees this as a spiritual experience, like her job, even though she's an actress, I know that when she is talking to the victims about how this wasn't your fault, that she knows she's speaking to everyone who's watching. Yeah. And you just feel like she's just this perfect mother that you just want to give a hug to, you know? And I think she's so healing, even though this show is so awful. character so much. Yeah. I'm just glad she's out there. I think, I think she's doing a great job. Did you watch the documentary that they did? The I, I didn't. 
and she yeah like she kind of like she's like the celebrity on the on the the documentary but it's about rape kits untested rape kits oh yes i know that okay. she started that that charity yeah. too which is so which yeah. is so good yeah yeah. Very powerful. Very powerful. I love, <laughs> I love that. Thanks for sharing. Thanks so much for joining us today. Uncertain is the affiliate podcast of Tears of Eden, a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider making a donation by visiting tearsofeden.org support. All donations are tax deductible. Intro music featured in this episode is from the band Green Ashes. Before you go, please take a moment to like, subscribe, or leave a review, and don't forget to share this podcast show with everyone you know. I'm Katherine Spearing, and I'll see you next time.